Okay, today is June the 8th, 2010. Seems like I have announcements, but I don't know what they are. I'm just so used to making them, it seems like every time we have some kind of announcement, we're kind of in between things, aren't we? Are we too cold in here? Huh? You need a shot? Okay. All right, let's prepare ourselves this evening in our usual fashion. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer rebound if necessary. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for another day of Your grace. It's so wonderful to know that You listen to us, that You are always there to help us. You have taught us. You've given us the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. You've given us everything that we need in order to be not just survivors, but indeed overcomers. So we pray that You will help us to continue to recharge our spiritual batteries with that manna from heaven that gives us that spiritual nourishment that we so desperately need. Even this evening and just another day is so important for us to grow in grace and knowledge. So we pray that you will help us to concentrate for we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> I received a, a magazine. You know, sometimes I get magazines. I don't even know where they come from. I look in my briefcase and there's a magazine. I don't remember ordering this. And I, it was open to an article. I think some people think, he needs to hear this. <laughs> and just put it in there. And I go home, hmm, how'd that get there? Interesting. Well, that's what happened on this one. It's from the, the name of the magazine is The Good News. And it's the first one I can remember uh, seeing. Anyway, it was open to this page. How can you help restore the disappearing family? which is a good question. Underneath that title, it says, The state of marriage and the family in the Western world is breaking down. Well, we all know that. Some have even concluded that marriage and family are destined to become obsolete. What about your marriage and family? Are they in danger? What practical steps can you take to strengthen them? And then just I just made a few highlights as I went through there. I always like to get the cream off of it to give you. It starts out by saying that the American divorce rate hovers at about 50%. Well, that's about what it has been. And um, that's Christian marriages, too. Half of the marriages end in divorce. And that's not even covering how many must be on the verge or certainly not uh, happy. If that weren't bad enough, almost 40% of births in the United States are children born out of wedlock. Four out of ten. To add insult to injury, to uh, that is moral injury, these unwed mothers are costing U.S. taxpayers a staggering $110 billion a year. That's not million, that's billion dollars a year. And it's been uh, welfare, health care, education, criminal justice, and other federal, state, and local things like that. Times have changed, so have our values. Isn't that a shame? Values should be timeless. They are in the Bible, but of course in society, uh, everything is relative and everything seems to change. 
This all seems so normal to most affluent societies, and yet divorce and family breakdown damage not only the couple, but also children, relatives, and friends. That's certainly the case. Uh, is it, some people think of it as just an issue between husband and wives, but divorce affects everyone, especially the children and family, the rest of the family and friends. And then it goes in, it talks about the infatuation. Is it infatuation or love? And it's talking about being in love and how that is different from an infatuation stage, and yet some can't tell the difference. And this, uh, Dr. Patricia Love, a noted family and marriage therapist, said this, and this is, uh, this is classic. I love this quote. She says, There is a big difference between infatuation and love, she notes. The brain is an incredible creation. It begins working long before your birth and doesn't stop until you fall in love. <laughs> yeah, I had that same response. <laughs> says uh, scientists now believe that the euphoria of infatuation is a bona fide altered state of consciousness. Uh, symptoms include a delightfully positive attitude. Well, you can have that without being in love. But anyhow, it says increased energy and decreased need for sleep and a loss of appetite. I've never had that last one for some reason. I guess I've never been in love. Um, it's clear that we all call being in love, uh, we could say that it's being, we could call it being under the influence. You better not say that too loud. They might put that, pull somebody over for being under the influence of being in, in love. And then it goes on to talk about hormonal hurricanes. The resulting full-blown infatuation knows no fear, even to the point of ignoring alarming qualities in a person that could cause marital problems for years to come. This isn't love, Dr. Love. <laughs> Dr. Love, that's her name. Anyhow, it isn't love, Dr. Love points out, but rather infatuation. There is a big difference between the two. It says... Um, Infatuation is momentary, driven by emotions. True love, which includes a respect and genuine, like, uh, genuine liking for another person, endures because it's driven by genuine concern for the well-being and happiness of the other person. And we might even include that it would also include impersonal or unconditional love. Um, Many people falling into this, uh, this infatuation type thing, either intermarriage unprepared or those emotions later begin to fade and decide their spouse wasn't the right one after all and choose to end their marriages. You know how many people fall into that category? The zeal is gone. The, the luster. They're no longer in love and they're ready to throw in the towel. There's more breakdown between, uh, a moral breakdown of the family. As marriage goes, this is really good. As marriage goes, so goes the family. And as goes the family, so goes society and civilization. Many 
Television situation comedies make light of marriage and family. They promote promiscuity, one-parent uh, one families, young men and women living together before marriage, and same-sex relationships, among other things. There's this new program on that I happened to flick by one time. It's in the new season. It's called the, uh, the nor not the normal family, um, the regular family. Oh, the modern family. The Modern Family. I don't suggest you watch it. It's nothing but uh, blasphemous all the way through. There's a homosexual couple that has adopted uh, two men that adopted this little uh, Korean girl and all of it. They just laugh about all these things, and it's uh, the husband is a mouse, the whole nine yards. Uh, then it says, Most people are unwittingly influenced by modern media and the culture around them to accept all kinds of bad ideas. That's an understatement. It's simply what naturally happens when our societies replace God and His Word with anything goes or subjectiveness, whatever seems right philosophies. Can you imagine that? Hmm. You know, I can remember something happened. I have the highest regard for the World War II a generation. Uh, those people were just heroes in my estimation. But they were lacking in something because they won the war and came home and failed as being parents as far as I'm concerned. Because it was right after the uh, they came home and then you had the population boom, the baby boomers, I'm one of them. I was born in 47. The war was over in 45. So they came back, and all of a sudden there was a huge spike in the population. And it took about uh, 15 years, 14, 15 years, something like that, for those babies to grow into teenagers. And by the time they got into the teenagers, I'm talking about the 60s, everything was turned upside down. It was make love, not war. Respect was gone. It was the age of the hippies. At the same time, with the Vietnam War was going at its height. At the same time, you had a cultural revolution with the uh, civil rights movement. All these things were going on at the same time. It was a wild time. But the music was really good. Uh, most of it was anyway. <laughs> One redeeming thing in that old thing. I, I still like the uh, music from the 60s. You know, I can, I can be going down the road or be at home, wherever it is and hear one of those oldie goldies from the 60s and it takes me right back to where I was. One of them in particular was from the Beach Boys. Y'all remember the Beach Boys? And it was called In My Room. And what makes me think about it uh, is because when I was in high school, they had what they called two-a-days in the football. It was in the, right before school started, it was still blistering hot. And you would have practice. School hadn't even started yet. And you would have two workouts in that blistering 100-degree Texas weather in full pads. And it was just merciless. So um, I used to go over to a friend's house. His name was Tim Adams. And we would go into his room, crank up the air conditioner, and just fall down on the floor. and You know, just relaxing. This was after the morning practice because we knew that the evening practice was going to start in a matter of hours and we were trying to conserve every bit of energy we could. So he had, uh, uh, it was record players back then. And he had one, uh, a 45 of the Beach Boys within my room. And he would play it. 
and it would play and play and play and play because it was one of those deals that after it finished, it would go back. Both of us were too tired to get up to change it. And we were measuring our energy. We didn't want to take the energy to do it. And we would hear it about 200 times. Well, we didn't care what was on. We just, <sighs> so I can be wherever I am right now. I hear that song and I'm instantly transported back to Tim Adams' bedroom. We were sacked out waiting for the evening workout, listening to In My Room. Well, the music was, was fine, but I got off track there for a second. Excuse me about that. But um, the music was pretty good. Just a couple more sentences here. So the idea here is to replace bad habits with good ones. That translates into overcoming through God's Spirit and His written truth. How about that? In a magazine article. Of course, it's the Good News magazine, but it's hard to find that anywhere. If he has a... No, it's talking about uh, husbands and wives should be... uh, more loving, and it talks about how the way to stop arguing is to stop arguing. You can do it. It takes two to argue. You can shut it down at any time. That's another story. Anyway, it says, uh, if he has a pulse, talk about what the husband needs, he needs attention. If she has a pulse, she needs attention. Give me attention to each other. Then parents must dedicate themselves to creating a happy family. It just doesn't happen. You don't go at home and turn on Dr. Phil and get one hearing and say, okay, now everything's fine. No, or any, any, just him as an example. It says what parents invest into their families is usually what they get out of their families. If you show respect and love to your children... That's probably what you'll get in return. If you yell, curse, scream, and threaten your children, you will, your children likely will yell, curse, scream, and threaten others, and maybe even you. So anyway, that was a really good article. It made me think about uh, so many of the marriages that are not on track these days. And by the way, I call the publishers, the printers, or whoever they are in Austin today and talk to them about the book so it is in the mail. Uh, okay, if you take your Bibles and open to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. When I was talking about the Beach Boys and In My Room, did you get the analogy we were in the room and the name of the song was in the room? <laughs> okay. I don't I don't think I said it, but I, y'all probably had the connection already. Okay. Okay. First Thessalonians chapter four, verse one. It's also up here on the board. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instructions as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you may excel still the more. What do you remember from that verse, some of the points that we made? One of them is uh, the idea of walking. The Bible uses that all the time. The Greek word there is peripateo. And it has to do with your lifestyle, the way you live. The Bible says walk in a way that is worthy of your calling. And throughout the Bible you'll see about walking. And and here you have uh, the Apostle Paul writing to the Thessalonians. 
instructed them how to walk to please God, just as you're already doing it. They were doing it. And he said, that's all right. You're going to have more instructions from me on how to do it. I don't know whether they were pleased about that or not, but it doesn't appear that Paul was all that concerned about if they were pleased about him continuing to tell them to walk in the way that's pleasing to the Lord. How do you do that? He already went over that. To excel still the more. And I made the point, a lot of times people want to hear something new, something fresh. Well, sometimes there's a place for that. And sometimes that happens. But a lot of times what we need to do is the same thing we've been doing, only do it better. Or maybe do it more. And that's what the idea was behind that verse. Uh, we were breaking that down. Here is uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 4. Walk in newness of life. After we're born again, we must learn how to walk. Operate in a new way by learning and applying the spiritual dynamics of a church of the church age. You know, when a person believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, tremendous things happen. God uh, just brings so many things into play. Spiritually, that person is completely changed. They go from having a body and soul to a body, soul, and spirit, which they didn't have before. There were 40 things that happened, but that doesn't automatically mean that that person knows what's going on in the Christian realm. That maybe the only thing they know after they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ is that they're saved. They, they understood the gospel. And now they recognize they have eternal life and God's own righteousness, and that cannot be taken away. And now they have a sense of security that they never had before. But when it comes to so many issues, they don't have a clue. It takes time. It takes time after time after time after time after time doing what you're doing right now. And some of you have been in doctrine for 50 years, especially on Sundays, not so much in this group, but sometimes in Sundays there are people hearing things for the first time. And so, uh, walking in a newness of life does not happen automatically. It comes over a period of time. And we use a term, and we're going to get to this in a few moments anyway. Uh, uh, it's kind of a theological term, but it's a good term. We call it experiential sanctification. That's what we're talking about in walking in newness of life. You're a new person. You're born again. You're a child of God. You're positionally sanctified, but you're not experientially sanctified, and that's what is on your agenda then. We'll get to that in a minute. Second Corinthians 5, 7. Walk by faith and not by sight. We all want to walk by sight. That is our nature. But God is spirit. We do not see Him. No one in this room, no one in our generation, no one since approximately 100 A.D., has seen the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we can't, we can't see it, but we have faith because we believe it, and what we believe comes from the Word. That's why we have the faith rest technique, is because we believe what the Word says. It's the Word of God. Galatians 5, 16, walk in the Spirit. You know, just that one part, just that one little phrase. If you had a questionnaire and you went to a hundred churches and you just picked believers at random and you said, here, uh, here is a blank piece of paper at the top. It says, walk in the Spirit. I want you to explain to me what that means. Wouldn't it be interesting to get those hundred papers? 
and read what their definition or what they think it means to walk in the Spirit. I, I bet there wouldn't be 5% of them at the most that would have a clue of what walking in the Spirit is all about. But you know what it's all about because we've gone into uh, how to go from a state of carnality into a state of spirituality. We simply do that by naming our sins to God the Father privately. Boom, that quick. We go from carnality into spirituality. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. Then, this is the thing, then we're operating on God's power, God the Holy Spirit. You're no longer facing things under your power. Now, I know you understand that, but how many times have you lingered in carnality before it finally dawned on you? And I'm talking to myself, too. I've been in that same situation to where you get all growly and grumpy and angry and just, I can think of a lot of words that all of them I can't say, but uh, you're just not a happy person. And then it dawns on you, oh, yeah, you know, I hadn't checked. I haven't checked my soul lately as to see if there's any unconfessed sins lurking about. And when you do that, boom, instantly you're spiritual. Right now, every person hopefully is spiritual. Y'all all look pretty spiritual. But, of course, I can't tell by just looking at you. Some of you, there's, there are people who can look and smile and have an enduring look. And what's inside they think, I wish he would shut up and get on with it. Or something like that. I don't know. Walking in the Spirit. That means walking in the filling of the Holy Spirit. That's the key. And there's not many believers even that know what that's about. They think that you have to work your way into being spiritual. You don't, you don't earn or deserve to, be, to go from carnality into spirituality just by naming your sins. You don't deserve that any more than you deserve Jesus Christ going to the cross and paying for your sin. It's not an issue of what you deserve. It's an issue of grace. And when you start becoming grace-oriented and you understand that we have a magnificent God and that our contact with Him is through grace, He can give us what we don't deserve because of what Christ did for us on the cross. And once that really starts to sink in, Hey, all right. Life is a blast. I mean, I don't have to carry this big load of guilt around me all, all the time. And I don't have to do penance. I don't have to do anything. Thing. I have to do what the Bible says. And the Bible's always about grace. Okay, Ephesians 4.1. Walk worthy of the vocation. Every believer has a vocation. He is personally in full-time Christian service and represents the Lord Jesus Christ on earth. God has a purpose for every believer. We have a... I don't know how many people we have here. We've got quite a few here tonight. And every person has uh, their own individual life where they come in contact with other people. And you don't have to uh, work for a church. You don't have to be a pastor or an evangelist or a missionary or anything to be full-time Christian service. You are every single day of your life. And your life counts, and it's important because God has a specific, customized plan for each one of us. And He holds us responsible for walking worthy of that. That means you carry your doctrine around with you wherever you go. You just don't think about it in church. And you use it. And you look for opportunities to witness. You look for opportunities 
to tell other people about how great our God is and how senseless it is to work for something that's free. Well, we've gone over all these. Walk in love. This is not a sentimental, gushy love. It's unconditional love that you have for everyone. And that is not a suggestion. That is a command from the Most High. And the only way that we can fulfill that walking in love is to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to love God first. And we love God because why? He first loved us. That gives us the momentum to reciprocate. Then in Colossians 4, 5, walk in wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom is not intelligence. There's a lot of intelligent fools out there. Sometimes you can't tell by looking at a person whether they're intelligent or not. I've worked at a place called Shell Oil Research Lab. It was over in Bel Air. And this was many years ago. And I just... I was new there. We were doing a remodel job on it. I was walking down the hall, and uh, this lady was coming down the hall, and she looked kind of disheveled. And as she was walking, she was going like this. I asked the guy, I said, is she retarded? I mean, what is, what is her thing? He said, that lady is a genius. He said, what she's doing when she's walking down that hallway is she's figuring out on her fingers and working out these mathematical equations without a pencil that the computers and everything else can't figure out. And when she goes, ah, like that, she, she's got an answer. She just figures it out. And he said, now, she is an absolute genius, but she can't go across the street and buy a lunch and come back and make it. He said that she wears the same dress every single day. And she, she had that intelligence. But when we walk in wisdom, it has nothing whatsoever to do with your IQ, your education, nothing of that sort. Because our God is so gracious that He gives us through the Holy Spirit the ability to understand the whole realm of doctrine. There's nothing in this Bible that you can't understand. Because it doesn't depend upon you. It depends on the Holy Spirit making the spiritual phenomenon of the Bible clear, lucid, and perspicuous to us all. It just depends on do you want it or not. And that's a great encouragement to people like me who aren't the brightest light bulb on the tree. But I can still understand the whole realm of doctrine, and that's great. Because it doesn't depend on me. It depends on the Lord. Then it says, walk in the light. The world is... The Word is light. Not only is Christ the light of the world, but the Bible is light. You know, I just love God's Word. The more that you get into it, it's so refreshing because it never changes. I mean, all these magazine articles, you watch TV and they say, don't drink coffee, it's bad for you. Don't eat chocolate, it's bad for you. Uh, two years later, well, they just got a new, series, a new study out that coffee and, and, and chocolate is good for you now. And you're thinking, what? I deprived myself of all all these years. (laughs) I mean, but the Bible never changes because God never changes. And that is terrific. In fact, of of His ten attributes, that is probably right close to the top, if not the top, is His immutability. 
Because you have never known anybody, nor will you ever know anyone that doesn't change. We all change. Of course, we change physically. I mean, the mirrors tell us that, but we also change in our thinking also. Walking in the truth, of course, is the application of doctrine to experience. And we're going to drop down because we've been through most of this. We've already been through this. Uh, verse 2, For you know what commandments we gave to you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Now here we're starting to plant, uh, plow fairly new ground. I think we went over the first, uh, uh, first verse, which is verse 3. Now if you're wondering why I have verse 3, 4, 5, and 6 all together, is because that's one sentence. And we study it not as they have it laid out in the Bible with the numbers and so forth, because the numbers were not there to begin with. They were added later for our convenience. But this is one sentence, and we study it a sentence at a time. And why is that important? Because a sentence is a basic unit of thought. And we want to get a basic unit of thought at a time. And a sentence like this is so long. If I just, if I just read this verse, I said, okay, you got it? You ready to move on? I think we'd be missing quite a bit, wouldn't we? So we take a sentence and then we break it down, usually a phrase at a time, sometimes even a word at a time, and then we try to put it all together. So here is the, the, the sentence. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no man transgresses and defraud his brother in the matter because the Lord is the avenger in all of these. And all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. And we've gone over this already. Hagiosmos. Remember I put on the board the English words for saint, sanctified. Saint. And then on the other side I showed you the Greek. And all those words, even holy and holiness and saint and sanctified, all are from the same root Greek word. And so they all essentially mean the same thing. And what does being sanctified mean? It means set apart for a special blessing. That's what all of that means. We went over all that. And here's the two things that we have to just look at for just a moment. It's, you see positional sanctification and experiential sanctification. It is imperative that you understand these two terms and can distinguish them to where you can, in a heartbeat, be able to explain the difference to anyone and be able to recognize in the Bible the verses that are talking about the positional sanctification as opposed to those who are talking about experiential sanctification. The positional sanctification has to do with being saved eternally in a point of time. It's done. It's over once you're positionally sanctified. It doesn't have anything to do with your experiential condition. It has everything to do with what God does for us the moment that we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the spark whereby we are born again. And when we are born again, positionally, we are perfect. Why? Now think about it. I'm not going to say it. You ought to... Two words. In Christ. We are in Christ. That's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit does at the moment of salvation, which has nothing to do with water. It's an identification. The moment we are born again, we are permanently identified with Jesus Christ, and God the Father sees us through Christ. That's why we can't even go to God the Father on our own. We have to go 
through the mediator, Jesus Christ. That's why we end a prayer saying, in Jesus' name, we understand we can't go straight to the Father. We have to go through Jesus Christ who is perfect. He is our high priest. No one can, what did Christ say? No one can come to the Father except by me. That's not only in salvation, that's in prayer or anything else. No one went to heaven. There was no humans in heaven until Jesus Christ ascended from planet earth. Because he had to lead the way. When God the Father accepted Jesus Christ, then he then could accept humanity also because church age believers are in Christ. But he also emptied, as we were studying in young people's class the other day, he also emptied Abraham's bosom and, and also uh, not only Abraham's bosom, but paradise of synonymous terms. All Old Testament believers, he took with him to heaven, but they couldn't get to heaven before he went there. All this has to do with positional sanctification. You got that? The problem is most people think that everything that the Bible has to say about being saved or salvation, any of that type of thing, they think, oh, well, it's all positional. And most of it is not. And if you don't get this straight, then you're going to get into lordship salvation. You're going to get into replacement theology. You're going to get into um, sometimes replacement theology. Just all kind of things that you... This is important. And here are the verses that you see up there. These are examples of verses of being positionally sanctified. That means in a moment of time when you believe in Jesus Christ, you are set apart Boop, over here permanently and nothing can change that. That's the top circle. I don't have the circles here, but most of you, when I say circles, what comes to your mind? Boop, there's the top and there's the bottom over here. Here's carnality, right? Now we have experiential sanctification. This is the other one. Every believer is positionally sanctified at salvation but only spiritual mature believers are set apart for special privileges and blessings. This is the super grace that is mentioned, the superior grace of James chapter 4, verse 6, and other places also. And this is progressive. It, it happens. Being experientially sanctified happens over a period of time. How long does it take? Is it the same for everybody? No. Is positionally sanctified the time frame the same for everybody? Yes. Moment in time. Experientially, not so. Some people may have 50, 60, 70 years. Some may have six months. Some may have a week. I don't know how long it is. But however long it is from the time that they're born again to the time that they leave planet Earth, that's their time frame to be positionally sanctified. How much time do you think is wasted by believers that don't grow up spiritually and, and are never positionally sanctified. Well, here's a question for you. What happens to... Let me have a couple of questions. First one, is it possible for a believer to not be experientially sanctified? Is it possible for a believer to not ever be positionally sanctified? Unfortunately, the answer is yes. In fact, most believers don't even have a clue what sanctification is. It's a nice-sounding theological term. They don't, have a, I, they don't have a clue what it's about. Okay, so it's possible for a believer to never be experientially sanctified. Well, what happens if he's not positionally sanctified? Is, is his 
entre into heaven at risk? Yeah. What did I say? Positionally. Okay. If a, if a believer is never experientially sanctified, does he risk not making it to heaven? Why? What do we look at? The position of sanctification. The irrefutable things that he received the moment he believed in Jesus Christ, which is eternal life and God's own righteousness, they're irrevocable. They can't be taken back. He's still going to make it into heaven. But is there going to be loss? There's going to be great loss. And that's, that's the rub. That's what people don't understand that never are interested in Bible doctrine, in the Word of God. They're not interested in God or anything. They've got their own agenda. They just If they only knew what was at risk and what they're losing, they would, they would perk up immediately. The Bible tells them, and prepared pastors are telling people, but even when the prepared pastors tell people, hey, you better wake up. That's what the Bible says throughout. Stand firm for the faith. Wake up. It actually says, wake up. What are you doing? Sleeping. Boy, Paul got after the Galatians. There was not much skin left on them when he finished his letter. You stupid Galatians, what are you doing? And even some of them, oh, well, you know, I'm distracted. I've got, I got, well, my day, my, I've got my, what do they call those books, uh, day planners, you know, you write all your schedule on it. They better get some doctrine on their day schedule or else they're going to regret it. They'll still be in heaven because they're positionally sanctified. So here's a few verses here that we went over in the experiential sanctification. Most verses, here's, many of you know this, but maybe some of you don't. Here's where a lot of people get mixed up. So many times in the New Testament, it's talking about salvation or being saved. The word for salvation is soteria in the Greek, and the Greek word for being saved is sozo. And that same Greek word is used for both positional and experiential sanctification. You understand what I'm saying? So sometimes when you're reading a verse that says being saved, it will mean positionally sanctification. It's talking about being eternally saved. And other times it will use the same word in the Greek and translate it right into English the same way, saved or salvation. And it means simply deliverance, temporal, something physical, being delivered. It used the same thing. That would be experiential sanctification. And people can't distinguish it. And so they come up with all these ideas Oh, well, if you're going to go to heaven, if you're going to be saved, then you have to grow up to be spiritually mature. You have to produce good works. And you can't get into it. In fact, you can fall from grace. And they see these terms and they think, oh, man, you know, what happened to grace? It's right out the window if you don't understand this. The same word is used, but the context is going to determine whether it's talking about whether you're going to heaven or not or whether you're going to be delivered from whatever trouble you got yourself into. Most of the trouble, um, excuse me, let me put it this way. Most of the time when you're in trouble, who's at fault? Huh? And what gets us into more trouble than anything else? Right there that hole under our nose. That's, and the little thing that wags in it. You know, the Bible says that's a consuming fire. And even when you know that, 
We would be much better every day if we just got some gray duct tape. You know, it's gray for a lot of things. Just tape it right over our mouth and learn to talk with, well, don't even talk. Just go out and just, mm-hmm, you know. It might be a little hard, but you get used to it, and you save yourself a world of trouble. Of course, I say that facetiously. We don't have to do that. If we have doctrine, we'll be aware of that. But are you ever going to slip? Has anybody figured out how to take a word back in? Huh? <laughs> if you could figure out a device to do that, you know, they got all this technical stuff. When you say something stupid or nasty or hurtful, and after you say it, soon as you say, oh, 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 wish I hadn't said that one. If they could just erase it, you know, like it didn't happen. Okay. Here's where we are in our verse right here. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That's where we are right now. Here. It didn't come out in blue, and I don't know why. That's what we're looking at. That is, talking about experiential sanctification, abstain from sexual immorality. Now, this word parnea, P-O-R-N-E-I-A, it's a noun, it's a genitive singular feminine, and it just refers to any sexual sin. Here's it's including adultery, fornication, including premarital and extramarital sexual intercourse. This word covers it. And premarital and extramarital, regardless of what it is, is a sexual sin, as well as a host of sexual perversions such as homosexuality, lesbianism, incest, rape, pederasty, voyeurism, prostitution, bestiality, and necrophilia. And that is the short list, my friends. I, don't, I just don't want to gross anybody out. But there are more. Some people have asked me, and so maybe you've never heard about necrophilia. If you don't know what it is, it's two Greek words that come into play. You have necros, which means death, and philos, which means love. So it means to love someone dead, but... It doesn't mean that you send them a love letter. It's just sicko. Symbolically, Barnea is used for idolatry and forsaking the true God in order to worship idols. You know, we, that's where we get the word pornography from Parnea. It is God's will that believers become experientially sanctified and not get involved in any kind of sexual sins. The first instruction is given to believers in becoming unblameable in holiness before God deals with sexual sins. Verse 4 now. That each of you know. Now that word know, underline it in your Bible. It's oida. It's an infinitive. An infinitive uh, doesn't have a mood. It just has a tense and voice. And this is in the perfect tense. And the active voice. I'll explain that in a moment. It means to see, to know, or to understand. Now, the perfect tense indicates that the knowledge was acquired in the past and the results continue into the, into the present. The problem usually is that people have not learned what they need in order to obey God's commandments. It always starts with being ignorant. Most, I said always. Most of the time, it's the ignorant factor. People don't know how to control their bodies. 
Do you know that if, what we were talking about earlier, about positional and, sanctif- uh, positional and experiential, and we we're talking about going from carnality into spirituality, that's, we're talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you, can't, if you cannot connect Ephesians 5, 8, be filled with the Holy Spirit, and 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you can't connect those two, you don't know how to be spiritual. If you don't know how to be spiritual, you have a, not a very good chance of being able to control your lust. Any of us. And that we're an older group here. I don't think we have a teenager in our group, do we? Oh, yeah, okay. Well, there's one. Chase, I didn't see you back there. For him, oh, man, does he, uh, not just you, I'm talking about teenagers in general. The hormones are raging, and they are curious, and it is such a powerful force. If they don't have the filling of the Holy Spirit, if they don't know that it's wrong from God's Word to have sex any time outside of marriage, and if they buy into the propaganda that, well, everybody else is doing it, and they're going to do it anyway, so let's just give them condoms, the whole nine yards. What chance do they have? STDs are off the charts right now. And people don't know what to do about it. And the last thing they want to do is make it a spiritual issue, and that is exactly what it is. There's not a person in this room that is able to control your body apart from the filling of the Holy Spirit under certain conditions. It's a spiritual issue, and that's not being given. It's not being told to people. So they don't know. They haven't learned how to obey the command. See, the command is that you know how to possess your vessel. That's what we're looking at. But we're just looking at the knowing first. If you don't know it, and you bought into the lies that are completely invading and pervading our society, you don't have a chance in your own self if you don't have the power of God through the filling of the Holy Spirit. You're going to get into some circumstances and you will not be able to extricate yourself from it. Parents need to be telling their their youngsters, you don't do this, you don't do that. You don't ever tell the girls, if you're going out Somewhere, when you come in, come back to the house. Well, I, I guess I better not even say that because that's old school. They don't even date anymore. They just hang out and hook up. But it was in my day. This is what I was told. If I took a girl home, I better not sit out in that driveway until just a few seconds or the lights would come on. You ever done that? You ever pull, have it be on a date, guys? And you, pull, you come home and you pull in the driveway before you can even turn off the key. The lights come on. The blinds come open like that. You ever have that? That's a good thing. That's somebody that cares about their children. I didn't like it. But it was a good thing. And I got the hint. Uh, it's time to get the darling in the house. Well, I'm uh, speaking a foreign language. It's, it's, so, it's gone so far the other way. The young people have to know. And not just because of the STDs out there. That would be reason enough. 
But they are sinning against the Most High. And it's a grievous sin, and as we'll see, they're sinning against their own body. And it can kill them, literally. Okay, how to possess. This word for possess is kataomai, K-T-A-O-M-A-I, and it's an infinitive also. But look at this. We went from the perfect tense. Now, get this. If you know, you've got to know the doctrine first. You've got to have to... You have to learn the spiritual dynamics to protect yourself and control yourself. And so once you have those, you got it in the past, the results of that goes right on into the present. In the present and on and on. It goes on. Isn't that great? But you have to know it first. But now we have this word to possess. It's infinitive and it's the present mental. I'll tell you what that means in a minute. It means to possess, acquire, or control. What? What possess here, what this word means is control. Control yourself. This infinitive switches from the perfect to the present tense. The doctrine you learned in the past enables you to control yourself in the present. See the the idea why it goes from the perfect tense in the past? You've learned it and now you're thinking doctrine and you get in this compromising situation. And your body is saying, go for it, yes, go. you got cheerleaders. Just, yeah, you know, don't worry about the consequences. It feels good, do it. That's what they were doing in the 60s. I mean, openly they would say it. They were doing it. So if you understand the doctrine and you have a relationship with God, you know it's wrong, you know it's offensive to God, and you know that you're going to have to pay the piper, you start... But what you've learned in the past is helping you deal with the situation at hand in the present tense. The middle voice indicates that you are benefited by controlling your libido. That's what it means. Middle means that you participate in the action of the verb or you are benefited by it. And both of them has to do it here. Then we have his own vessel. Now, this doesn't just have to be his. For her also, his or her own vessel. Well, what's a vessel? We have skeus, S-K-E-O-U-S. It's a noun. It's accusative singular. And look at that, neuter. Neuter gender. And we're talking about a vessel. Well, what's a vessel? A vessel is a utensil, an implement. It was used figuratively for the human body, and that's what it means here. It is used this way in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, 2 Timothy 2, 20 through 21. 1 Peter 3, 7 calls the wife the weaker vessel. Now, ladies, don't get upset about that. It's not talking about mentally. It's talking about physically. And I know somebody can make the case. I knew a lady was 250 pounds and her husband was a 100-pound weakling. But that's not normal. I mean, it's not It's not the, the tr- normal trend. Usually, it's the guy that has is stronger. And even in his soul, he is stronger in some ways. He's able to take the responsibility of the headship of the house because God designed him that way. And so it says, it calls the wife the weaker vessel, and we should always give deference to our wives and understand this. And again, ladies, you should not take issue with that at all. And it's talking about her body there. Our bodies are vessels which contain our soul and spirit. 
and it is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. That's all. I'm looking at a bunch of vessels out there. Just pots. <laughs> Maybe I could come up with a better word, but uh, that's what we are. We're a bunch of pots. Probably clay pots. And these clay pots, I think some of them are cracked. <laughs> I'm, this one is. Hey, cracked pots. Oh, we are vessels. But what's inside is what's important. That's the real us. I mean, if part of your vessel, you lose part of your vessel, you enter, something happens, your hand is cut off. Well, that's okay because your vessel can still contain what it's supposed to hold, which is your soul and your spirit if you're a believer. And that's, what, that's the real you. That's the one that's doing the thinking right now. Norms and standards and the whole thing. So that's what the, the, it's talking about, vessels. We are, and this is the point, we are not to join that which is holy to that which is unholy, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 13 through 20. And I don't have time to go through that. In fact, I don't have much time at all. But that's what, we'll go over that to show that. In order to accomplish this, believers must know how to possess his own vessel, meaning they must know how to control their sexual desires. Sexual desires. Nothing wrong with that. I can say it right from the pulpit and not blush. And we're in church, and I can say, we have sexual desires. And the reason we do is because that's the way God made us. And it is a very strong desire. It can be. But just like anything else, God has set limitations on it for our own good. And when you disobey and you just want to do whatever you want to because it feels good, God allows you to do that, but there's dire warnings about doing it. One thing you can't do is be blameless and be walking in a way that pleases God if you're going to just satisfy your own lust. He says, don't do it. And here we are in the 21st century. We're this modern, sophisticated technologically elite group here in the United States. Oh, we are really got it all together and we are rotten in our souls because people think they can defy God and just satisfy their own lusts and get by with it and think that there are no consequences. How smart is that? But you know it and I know it. I'm shocked at how many, how many church-going people are not even married. And not ashamed of it. If you're going to be able to obey this command to possess your own vessel, to control yourself, then you have to know how to do it. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 and 17 is instrumental here. Instructive, I should say. Um, And I'm going to close on this verse because I'm out of time. But I say, walk by the Spirit. Boop. What does that conjure up? Being filled with the Holy Spirit. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're walking by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please.
you know how many people are not interested in Christianity at all because they want to do what they please? As a Christian, are you able to do anything that you please? Yeah, you can. But if you know something about God and you know something about His justice and righteousness, you know that you can't do it and get by with it. And we excuse it. How many people have been in a compromising position and says, well, I can just always rebound it and it'll be fine. Can you rebound away AIDS? Is rebound going to reverse AIDS? I don't think so. It will make you spiritual. It will get you right with God if you acknowledge it, that you fornicated and you contracted AIDS over it. But it's not going to do away with AIDS. There is consequences for the decisions that we make when we rebel against God. And it's very sobering. And so this is the first thing he's talking about. If you want to walk in a way that is pleasing to God, blameless and holy, first thing, control yourself. And the good news is you can do it. If you know how to be spiritual and you have the filling of the Holy Spirit and through His power gives you the wherewithal to not succumb to whatever the temptation may be. We're going to draw a line of sand right there. We are out of time. And we will continue this uh, Thursday night. It's not, it's not this Thursday. It's the following Thursday, Vidal, that you're teaching. The 24th, okay. Now, y'all all sure be here on the 24th. <laughs> but, okay. On the 24th, Vidal is going to be teaching. I know he just loves me for telling you all that. <laughs> Okay, let's close. Father, thank You for this time You've given us to fellowship in Your Word. Help us to understand and know that it's not worth it to cross You. It's not worth it for us to just have our own way because there's always a cost and it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But we want to live a life that's pleasing to You not just because we are in fear, but because we love You, we want to please You, and we know and we trust and we have faith that the plan that You have given us is the only one that leads to the abundant life that You want us to have. So we pray that You will help us to fully understand these things so that we will be able to tell others and then they can tell others. We thank You for that high honor and opportunity, for we pray this, In Christ's most high and holy name, amen.